Welcome to Momentum Church. That'll work. That'll work. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. And I'm excited to be able to bring this word to you from this passage of scripture. And, um, and we'll stand in a moment to read God's word. But it starts off with, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus. And he's getting close to the end of his time with his disciples. And he's speaking to them because he knows their hearts are starting to get heavy with the thought that something's about to change. And so he begins to speak to them. And he tells them in the next seven verses that, that where I'm going to go, you're going to be able to come also. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I'm ready, I'm going to receive you. You'll be able to come. That's awesome. Amen. Here's the thing about that. I think sometimes as God's people in the earth today, when we hear Jesus say, I will come back for you, we have lost the anticipation of his return. And that expectation of his return, it shapes things about us. I'm not saying it shapes fear, like I better live right because he could come at any moment. Well, that could be part of it. But man, it puts an expectation in me of his purpose. Man, he could come at any moment. Who do we need to reach? What lives do we need to change? What is God trying to do in my life? Because he could come at any moment. We need as a people of God to have an expectation of his return again. Amen? Amen. Just a sense that, man, he could show up tomorrow. Man, how's it cause us to live? Everybody say today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's kind of where we're headed in this scripture. He's talking to them. And then Philip asks him something because Jesus says he's going to the Father. And so then Philip says to him, show me the Father. I love that. Oh, my word. I never saw this in the scripture before. Show me the Father. And I think if you're honest with yourself, that is the deep desire of all men. Show me God. Show me God. Show me something, someone I can believe in. Show me something, someone that I can have purpose. Show me something that makes everything in this world make sense. That's, that's that thing. Show me something greater than myself. Show me something real. And even if you've been believers for a long time, sometimes you feel that way. God, just show me you. I see preachers. They'll let you down. I see churches. They suck too. I'm sorry, Mama. I know she's watching this service. I didn't mean to say that word. But they'll let you down. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, like, but no, no, I don't. Show me you, God. I want to see you. I want to see your hand. I want to see what's real. And that's a cry that people have. And that's where we come to John 14, verse 10. I want you to stand to your feet. Jesus is going to show us how we see the Father. Jesus is going to show us how we see himself. He's going to show us. It says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. What you've been seeing these last three years, Jesus says, all these signs, wonders, miracles, provision, you've seen the Father. You see the works of the Father when we're out doing this ministry. You've seen it, he's saying. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, here's the thing. We've all been taught, don't look at the works. You know, I mean, it's all about Jesus, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And it is. Don't chase God's hand and not look at God's face. And that's true. Don't chase his provision and don't care about his presence. That, that's true. I get it. But Jesus himself is saying, look, if you can't believe I and the Father are one and that you've seen the Father through me because of, of me, at least believe the stuff that I've been doing, the works are of the Father. In other words, when that blind eye was open, that was God. When those deaf ears were open, that was God. That was something real you could put faith in. When, I, when, when all those different things, the lame man begins to walk, that was God. God has no problem with works being seen. Amen? Not one bit. That was God. Those works were God. 
They are not God, but they're an evidence of God. And Jesus is telling them that. But here's the problem. Here's the rub. The world is looking to see God, but they have to look through the lens of God's people. God has no other body. There's no other body of Jesus in the earth but his church. Amen? I'm going to personalize it. There is no other body in the earth that is Jesus' body except for you. Ross, that's a responsibility. Yes, it is. Ross, that's scary. Oh, that's why I come to this pulpit every Sunday freaked out. I'm serious. There's no other body. That's the rub. The only body, the only, they're trying to see the Father. Show me the Father. And all the world can look at is his people. And so if Jesus says that you're going to believe me and I'm in the Father, and you're going to believe it, if not by me, you're going to believe it by the works that you see, guess what? You ain't no Jesus. So if they're not going to look at you and believe in your Father, guess what? They're going to believe because of the works they see. God's power at work in you and through you to show the world who God is. That's heavy. Oh, Jesus, help us. We receive that responsibility. Help us today to embrace it fully, God, and what that looks like. I ask for that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have your seats. We'll go on to verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, you ready for this, will also do. Shout, will also do. I want you to say it one more time. We'll also do. Wow. And when I hear that, I hear, will Rosso do. That's, that's what I was hearing. I just want to receive it. Will Rosso do? Rosso will. I'll try. <laughs> no, will also do. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. That's what Jesus says. He says, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that last little part, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Come back next Sunday because John 15, we'll see that phrase said multiple times throughout that chapter. And you know what? I don't know about y'all. I want to walk in everything God has for me. Amen? Amen. How many here, you want to walk in everything God has for you? And we're going to look next week at how we walk in that. That, that Yeah, yeah, I, I want that promise. But what does it look like to bring that promise to pass? We'll get there next week. All right. But here's the thing. How are we expected to do the works of the Lord? Jesus, he says, not only are you going to do the works that I do, but you're even going to do greater works. How are we expected to do it? And Jesus tells us in this passage. Let's go to verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I love that. And many of you, if you've been in church for a while, you know who this other helper is. I'll give you another helper, and we know that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit, verse 17, of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me take a moment with this idea. Jesus is saying it's expedient in another chapter. He says, it's expedient that I go, for if I do not go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the Father, prepare a place for you, but I have an expectation that the ministry we have started isn't going to stop. And not only is it not going to stop, it's going to get more better. It's just going to get greater and greater. It's going to expand to the whole far reaches of the whole world. Because I go to the Father, I'm going to send this, this alos parakletos. Somebody's like, is he speaking in tongues? No, that's Greek. Alos parakletos. Alos means another, but not another that's different. It means another of the same kind. And parakletos is where we get the English word paraclete. That's somebody who's an advocate. You may have a lawyer who's a paraclete. It's somebody who's an advocate or a comforter. Some people will call him the comforter. But he's an advocate. He's there. He's not leaving you alone. And he says, there will be one that is another. He's different, but he's like me. He's different, but of the same kind. And he is going to come and walk 
with you. Now, he's not heteros parakletos. He's not another of a different kind. That, that was chosen specifically to describe who the Holy Spirit is. Alos parakletos. Different of the same kind. And why is that important? Because Jesus was saying, I'm going to go, but one who is like myself fully is going to come in my place. And when he does, he's going to touch you in such a way that you are going to make a huge impact. Even greater works will the church do when I'm out of here. Amen? Because of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. By calling the Holy Spirit Alos, Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit was exactly like him. Indeed, that's why the disciples can be comforted. Because I've taught you, guess what? Holy Spirit's going to teach you. Because I've comforted you, guess what? Holy Spirit's going to comfort you. Because I've challenged you to do the miraculous, and I've been with you while these things have happened, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to do the miraculous in and through you. Because, and so on, the Holy Spirit is coming to be with you. Now, there's one other thing the Holy Spirit does. We know that he comforts. We know that he teaches. I mean, Scripture teaches a lot of things. He sanctifies, encourages. You've had that before. You just sense the Holy Spirit all over something, all over you, you know? But one of the key things that we see in Scripture is this, that the Holy Spirit empowers us, the church, to do the works of God. In other words, Jesus left with an expectation, not just to keep your hiney out of hell. E-V-I-L, keep your hiney out of hell. I'm sorry, I'm in a rare mood today. <laughs> he left with an expectation that you would move in the works of God. Why? Because he has no other, come on, because he has no other, mm -hmm. he has no other body. So there's that expectation. But what's so nice about Jesus, he never leaves us hanging. Anytime he gives us a challenge, he will always give us a provision for that challenge. Amen? And Jesus knows it all too well. You know why Jesus knows it all too well? Because for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, you don't see him doing the miraculous. You don't see signs and wonders in his life. The first 30 years of life, he was very much embracing the humanity of who he was, if you will. And he was 100% human. He was 100% divine as well. But we understand from Philippians that he divested himself of that. And he lived in this world like a man on purpose so that you would know the same power he walked in. When you walk in that power, you can do the same gifts or the same works that he did. The same temptation you struggle with, he struggled with yet without sin. He walked as a man. And what we see happening on the day of his baptism, a dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, comes and rests upon him, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And upon that, the Spirit of God, it says, led him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. Then the Spirit of God led him back, and he goes into Nazareth, into the synagogue, and he begins to declare, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Shout, upon me. Amen. And he begins to give a whole list to set captives free to preach recovery to, to, the, to, the, to the sick, to the, the lost and the healing of the blind. And, and he has this whole list of what the anointing of God, every shout works, works, of what the works of the Father are going to now look like in the life of Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit got upon his humanity. And now it's no different. He leaves and he says, don't worry about it. That same spirit, that same spirit, don't worry about it. I'm coming. And I know, I know there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We as Christians, we do not believe in three gods. We believe in one. Amen. But there is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's, it's that trinity that we can't quite completely fully understand. All God, all independent, all one. This beautiful unity that they have. And so he says, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming. That same Spirit that's anointed me. And this is how important it is. Because Jesus never gives us a challenge without giving us a provision. This is how important it is. He's like, I know I want you to move in my works, but I don't expect you to do that yourself. So the last thing Jesus says to his disciple concerned the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, he says to them that they are to go and receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And it says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
He told him, he said, go wait in the city until this power has come upon you. Go wait. Wait, wait a second, Jesus. There's 500 of us. We just saw you ascend. This is exciting. If there's never something to tell a testimony about, that would be something, right? It's like you see Jesus go up into the clouds. It's like, I'm telling everybody. Like instantly, like right now. And Jesus, before he went, he's like, no, no, no. Go wait in the city, Terry. It's the old King James Version letter, word. Go tarry until this power has come upon you, until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This endowment, this clothing of power that's going to rest upon you. And then when that happens, you'll be weird. No, that's not what it says. Sometimes people see Pentecostal churches and it's like, it's because we're weird. No, it says when that happens, you'll be a witness of me in Judea or Jerusalem, Judea. My brain's not working. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was a Jew in Palestine. Does it sound like ministry going to the ends of the earth is greater? Yes, it does. That's what Jesus meant. Even greater things. I was a Jew in Palestine. Great things happened for three years. I'm going. But guess what? Those 500, they went to the upper room. Ten days later, only 120 of them were left. But the 120, God touched them with the power of God. And it was like cloven tongues of fire coming upon them. And they began to preach and they changed the world. 120 of them. I believe the invitation was to all 500. But 120 hung out for 10 days. Amen? So God, he gives us this challenge to, to express his works so that it can be a witness, so people can say, I see the Father. And then he comes back and says, and I'm going to give you the power to do that. I don't expect you to muster this up on your own. I'm going to change the world through you. And guess what? He is still doing that. That's why at our church, missions is so important at Momentum Church. That's why today in this teaching, I started off talking about a ministry in our Jerusalem. I want in the middle of this, tell you something about a ministry that we're ministering to help that is in our, our uttermost parts of the earth. Two years ago, a missionary couple, they've been here. They've spoke from this platform. I can't say their name online because the country, it's a Southeast Asian country. I'm allowed to say that, but I can't speak of it by name because of the various struggles inside the country when it comes to what we're about to do as a church, amen, when it comes to ministry and things like that, all right? So everybody, if you come to me later, I can tell you, but we don't put it online. So a couple years ago, met this couple. I've known the couple since, since we were in our late teens. I've known the, the wife. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, they present Amy and I with an idea to pray about in regards to coming and doing marriage conference for their pastors. And then nine months ago, it got real in that they asked for that commitment. And what it looks like is there are 20 pastors and their wives of one language group and 20 pastors and their wives of another language group in this country. So 80 people total, 40 couples, 40 churches all under the age of 40 years old. Isn't that cool? And in the Assemblies of God, we do not go in and change indigenous culture. That's not our heart. We're not trying to get people to become the American church. God forbid. <laughs> but there are things culturally that are off at times in other ministries, just like here, that do not look like Bible culture. And so as we begin to talk, they begin to speak to us about a lot of their cultural issues that have got to change, or the church is going to be forte, it's going to have issues going into the next generations, and they begin to ask us to challenge those cultural things. And so Amy and I, in a place of fear, we begin to ask questions. We've had tons of Zoom calls with these people. We begin to ask questions that they would go and ask their pastors and their pastor's wives. And they've went on a few months of gathering information because we don't want to come and just give them what we have. We want to come and meet a need that's there. Amen? And so this week, Amy and I just finished writing the curriculum. It had to be turned in on Thursday. And it's six sessions that we're doing. We will do one group of, English, of, of language group on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday um, afternoon. And the next language group... Wednesday night through Friday, amen? It's going to be a whirlwind 
of an experience. But here's the thing that's so neat. As we begin to ask these questions, we begin to hear the hearts of these pastors. And what's neat is even the missionary said, we hadn't done this yet. And we're getting so much out of this process, learning what the needs are. And so keep praying for Amy and I as we continue to <coughs> be shaped. Now, I'm not saying for us to shape. I'm saying as we continue to be shaped for this task. Amen? But I want to tell you something. You all are a part of this. This is a momentum church experience. And you are going to not only, I love mission trips. I do. And we're going to have a mission trip, I'm hoping, next year and get it back on the field. But this is something apostolic. What I mean by that is foundational, putting into the lives of these young pastors to change their lives and their churches forever. And I'm scared to death, but I know the Holy Spirit's leading, amen? amen. So here's what's going on. Financially, um, they gave us what the budget would be, and they said that they would like to try out their own personal budget to be able to offset some of that. Again, we took it to the board, we prayed about it, and guess what? We just feel like it's our time to go. Go big, amen? And this is going to be our project. And we told the missionaries, you keep your money for whatever you need. We want that to stay in country. We want you to use your finances. You don't need to be offsetting this with nothing. <clears throat> We're going to take care of this whole thing. And so it's $13,000 is everything. But it's amazing. 80 people, whole week, all, well, three and three. But all their food, all their travel, the lodging, every element of this whole trip 13,000, and then what we as a board, we had come up with a number, we really are praying that we'll have 15,000 because we would like to be able to be able to bless those missionaries. There may be another project, there may be something that they need when we're there, something that's broke down, you, you never know. And so even if it's just to bless them personally, to make life a little easier for them and their family. So we are raising $15,000, amen? And right in the middle of a sermon on the Holy Ghost, and so in our push pay, it has a spot for Southeast Asia. And over the next couple weeks, three weeks, we'll mention this a couple more times on Sunday. Um, not this long, obviously. Um, we just want you to, to sow in, you know, as a church, to sow seed into that country. And man, it's just the neatest opportunity as a church we've ever had on, to sow into a mission experience. So, so to a mission field and their needs. So be praying about what? I have a couple people that say they're already given $1,000. You know, I'm looking for a $500 champion. No, I'm teasing. I'm kidding. I hate that stuff. $100 hero, $5,000, you know. Mother Teresa, $5,000. No, I'm teasing. I told you I'm in a mood today. But, um, but if you want to be Mother Teresa, go ahead. Um, but no, just begin praying about that because this is just something that, that literally, I mean, what God's doing in that country, we can shape the next generation of these pastors. I love it. I love it. So that's what's going on. Why did I share that? Because that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Moving into the things of God in such a way that it reaches out as a witness to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus says, I'm not going to let you do that alone. I'm going to give you another helper. You know, that one that's going to dwell with you and in you. Now, I want you to see something as we get back into this. Acts 1.8, we saw in John 14, he's going to dwell with you. Everybody say with you. With you. And in you. Say in you. In, you. in Acts 1.8, we come upon a different preposition. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon. Say upon. upon. Yeah, upon you. And then you'll be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we see three Greek prepositions here. One is para, P-A-R-A, meaning with. He's going to come with you. And you felt him with you before. You felt, maybe it was the death of a loved one. In the moment of that time, you could feel his presence with you, undergirding you, strengthening you, and giving you peace. He is with you, para. But then also, he is in you, E-N, in the Greek, E-N. He is in you. You're going through things, and your internal, your, your, your own fortitude is just, is weak. But you feel the Holy Spirit rising up on the inside of you. There's a confidence that's not your own. There's a peace that's not your own. You feel something rising up on the inside. You can feel it. Also, when you get saved, the Bible says that you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Amen? 
But this scripture is saying upon. It's something different. And what I love about this passage, it's not saying that you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's saying that he's with you and he's in you, but something's going to happen to where he's upon you. Scripture refers to this as a baptism. Kind of like the wells of who he is just coming up all up and over you, upon you. It's like a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is another way people will say it. Filled and overflowing. And it's a second work of grace. It's a subsequent work to salvation. When you get saved, you, in that moment, become the righteousness of God. In that moment, you have your, your eternity, if you will, secure. You know where you're going. Amen? In that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, and he doesn't partition himself. I'll just give you a little of me. No, no, no. But when he comes upon us, there was a place of obedience when Jesus said, go wait, and they obeyed. And when he came upon them, it wasn't they got more of him. He got more of them. Does it make sense? More submission, more whatever you need, God, whatever you want, God. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to wait here till whatever happens, happens. I don't have a clue what's supposed to happen. More obedience, more faithfulness. More hunger, more desire. And God began to do this amazing work. That sounds like anticipation to me. And I believe a lot of times as Christ followers, we can get to a place where we can look back and be secure and thank God for it and lose every bit of anticipation of what God wants to do next. I don't know about you all. If I was a disciple in those first three years, I'd wake up every morning bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'd just be like, whoo what are we going to see today, Jesus? What are you going to do today? These works don't get old. Watching you set people free. Watching you open eyes and, and feed thousands and rebuke some Pharisees with some unction from the power of God. I want to see some of that. There's an anticipation. And I believe as a church, we lose that. When we just lean back and we're just so settled in our salvation. I'm not saying you're working out anything for your salvation. I mean, it's, you're saved. But I want to wake up every day saying, okay, Lord, what works are you going to do in and through me today? I want to show up on the campus of Momentum Church on Sunday going, whoo, Lord, what are you going to do in the house? Amen? That's the anticipation. One of my favorite authors is A.W. Tozer. He said one characteristic that is largely lacking in the average church today is that of spiritual anticipation. When Christians meet, they do not expect anything unusual to happen. Consequently, only the usual happens. And that usual, usual is as predictable as the setting sun. My dad came to faith in Christ. Truly, believer. Got saved. Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of him, in him and with him. And for years taught a class. I won't say what church. It's the kind of church that believes all this powerful things that the Holy Spirit wants to do has seceded or has left the church. At Momentum Church, we don't believe in what's called cessationism. We don't believe that the things you see in the book of Acts don't happen today through his church. We believe that God is writing, if you will, the things of Acts in your life today. We're not putting it on paper, but I'm just saying the life of the church and his work in us is still going on today. But dad was teaching at this place, at this church in a Sunday school, and would come home and tear our house up. And would come home and, and, and wear me out, like un, unduly. I mean, uh, like, like it would be considered abuse, you know. And my dad ended up going to a Pentecostal revival service. And... Listen, when it comes to the works of the Lord and the moving of God, it's about a witness to show the Father, a witness to show who Jesus is, amen? It's about witness, not weirdness. But sometimes it can be weird too. <laughs> Just telling the truth. So dad comes to this revival service. They lay hands on dad, and dad was slain in the spirit. How many's heard of that term before? I mean, I know you've seen stuff on TV, touch, and people all fall. Some of that's real, some of that maybe not. 
But all I know is dad was slain in the spirit and was down a long, 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 long time. And something happened to my dad. A power came into my dad that he never had before. And I can remember the last time my dad beating me. He stops in the middle of this and he leaves. He goes into his room and closes the door. And I'm thinking to myself, what's he coming back with? I can't get, I get choked up every time I think about this. And all of a sudden, I could hear my dad. And I know it might be weird, but I could hear him in that room. He's praying in tongues, and he's saying, don't let me be like this. Don't let me hurt Ross Allen. Don't let me. And guess what? My dad got delivered of those anger issues that were deep-rooted from family way in the past. My dad got set free from that. I got to see a new dad as I became older in, in the home. As I, as I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I got a new dad, a spirit-filled dad that moved in the gifts of the spirit, moved with power and unction, still fierce as all. I'm scared to death of my dad. To this day, dad, you scare me to death. But that's what happened. And guess what? A generation, myself, grandkids, a bunch of us, a, a city of people that know my dad, they just know him for a powerful man of God that he is. A legacy of the works of the Spirit that have worked in his life, the works of God, and they give honor to Jesus because they see who I used to be deeply afraid of. And I'm not saying he wasn't saved, but he needed the power of God to set him free. Amen? He didn't just need the Holy Spirit to come in and with. He needed the Holy Spirit to come upon. And when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he became a witness of Jesus to Ross and to Tammy and to my mom and to a community. I want that kind of expectation in this house. That kind when there are worship services going on. Who are you going to set free today, Jesus? Who are you going to deliver? What marriage are you going to heal today, Jesus? What, what whoremonger, chasing tail, are you going to bring to an altar broken down before God today, Jesus? Not just because the words preacher said, but because the anointing of God drew them to a place of repentance and, and they're a heap of a mess before the presence of God. I want to anticipate that, amen? Greater works will you do. I want to anticipate that in this house, anticipate that in your lives and through your lives. But Christian expectation in the average church follows the program, not the promises. We need a fresh spirit of anticipation that springs out of the promises of God. And he says, I'll come upon you and you will be a witness of me. Not just to have a good church service. No, no, no. Lives changed are a witness of God. Partnering in finances and making a difference in that country and seeing those young pastors' lives change and the anointing. We have a whole session set up. Just, we're planning in one session where we're not teaching much. We're setting it up, and we're just asking God to touch us, to touch those young pastors. With the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, that they can be witnesses wherever they go. We must declare war on the mood of non-expectation and come together with childlike faith. Only then can we know the wonders of God's presence amongst us and see the Father and his works fully within our body. Amen? See, the thing you have to understand, though, is the works of God, they're tied to the Holy Spirit. That's why the Comforter has promised to come. His works are tied, and since they're tied to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, isn't going to give you a, prom a, a, a challenge without a provision. The Holy Spirit says, you know what? I'm going to give you gifts, and these gifts you can use as I give them to you, and guess what? When you use them, they will be a witness. They'll make a difference in people's lives. Well, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving me gifts. When I was a young pastor, I would say things like this. I have every gift of the Holy Spirit. And I would just stand cocky. It sounded more cocky when I was 20. Just because you're 20 and people are looking at you like, you snot-nosed brat, I'm going to smack you, <laughs> smack you in the face. But I would say it because I wanted people to get their ears perked. And I'd say, you know why? Because I have the Holy Spirit. And they're his gifts. They're not mine. Every one of you here today, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. He is in you and with you. I'm inviting you to go after him and ask him to come upon you. 
And when he comes upon you more and more like that, guess what? Those gifts start to flow and they start to be used and they're need-based. When you're dealing with a person that needs a gift of healing, guess what rises up? Healing. You're dealing with a person that needs some wisdom, gift of wisdom rises up and so on and so on. And so I want to give you the definition of spiritual gifts. It is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit and the life of a believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. You ought to be getting excited right now. You really should. That God, literally in the moment, you don't have to have it. No, you don't. He has it. You don't have to be afraid. Not really. You have to be faithful. And sometimes when you're faithful, you are afraid, but you're being faithful. But in that moment, if there's a need, if there's something, and you're willing to say, okay, Lord, just visit us. Right now, we need you. Jesus wants to be seen. He wants Father to be seen. Amen? And guess what? The Holy Spirit, those gifts are what bring forth who he is being seen. And so he'll bring forth that gift, whatever it might be, that supernatural enablement. I want to give you real briefly the three categories of gifts just so you can start to think about it. Put, in, put down somewhere 1 Corinthians 12. So 1 Corinthians 12 gives you the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. And 1 Corinthians 14 talks about how to move in those gifts of the Spirit within a church-type setting. But here's what the gifts are. They are who God is, His power, at work in us. Don't you think God wants His power to be still seen in His body? That's why Jesus is like, I'm going, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Because who I am, I still want to be seen in the earth. The problem is, I'm going to be seen through my present day body, which is the church. So guess what? That body needs the Holy Spirit to come upon them so that they can show who I am, who I really am. Not just there's some politically correct, some weak, mamby-pamby, gospel, milk-toast crap that gets... F no! Can you tell I'm, I'm, I'm a little bitter? Something real, something powerful, who he is. And so here's the gifts of the Spirit that allow us to have God's power seen in our lives. There are knowing gifts, there are speaking gifts, and there are doing gifts. Three categories. Just an easy way to remember these. And I can't teach on these. We've taught on these a long time ago. If you want that information, we can post that sermon. I gave examples of all these. But the first in the knowing gifts is word of wisdom. That's the application of information in a very practical, very powerful way to take something and be able to have wisdom that's not your own, that you know came from God, amen, but supernaturally enabled. It's not something you just came up with. It's something that God just brought you in that time. Word of knowledge, a supernatural point of information, some piece of knowledge that you would not know any other way than God giving it to you. Again, I'd like to give you examples of these, but I'm not. I'm just going to keep going with them. Discernment of spirits is a knowing gift. To know if it's a demonic spirit, an angelic spirit, the spirit of God, or the spirit of man, whether the spirit of man is evil or leaning toward good. The discernment of spirits, the nature of what you're dealing with and having discernment in the nature of what is going on in those moments. Speaking gifts, we have various kinds of tongues. There are messages of tongues. There's been a few times through the years, somebody spoke in tongues and somebody gave an interpretation of tongues. But most of the time, if you hear tongues in church here, it's during worship. Somebody's wor you're worshiping and you may hear somebody just praying in the spirit. They're just praying. That doesn't have to be interpreted. They're just praying to God. My dad was praying to God in his bedroom. He wasn't looking for an interpretation. He was just connecting with God in that moment, in that heavenly language. So there's various kinds of tongues. And they're an unknown tongue. I'm not going to go all into that, but it's not a known tongue to the speaker. It can be, glossolalia can be a known tongue to the hearer, but it's not a known tongue to the one speaking. And you may say, Pastor, do you pray in tongues? Every single day. Every single day. I do like Paul. Paul says, pray in the Spirit. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Pray in the Spirit and pray with understanding. Sing in the Spirit and sing with understanding. So I pray in the Spirit. It's not about communication. It's about connection. And once I'm connected and I start to sense where God's leading me to pray in the natural, then I pray in English. Does that make sense? Because I've met lazy Pentecostals. If you're in here and you pray in the Spirit and that's all you ever do, you're lazy. I'm serious. Pray in the Spirit till you get understanding and pray in the understanding. Amen? Um, but that prayer language is, is a real, real powerful, powerful tool. And then the final speaking gift is prophecy. 
And that's just the, the timely word from the Lord that you know is not your word. Like God gave you that word to speak to somebody or to speak over yourself. And it's, it's, it's not always foretelling. You think of prophecy as for, it's forthtelling. New Testament prophecy is, prophecy is forthtelling. It's, it's a strong, timely word that's got the touch of God on it. There's times I've preached where I'll say something and I'm like, ooh, that was prophetic. Once in a while, I've said that with you guys before. I've said that is from the Lord, you know. I, I sensed. I, it wasn't just in my notes. This is something from, from God. And then the final is doing gifts, gift of faith, which is not just you mustering up belief. Ooh, I'm going to believe. No, it's God placing faith in you, this assurance that is supernaturally enabled in that moment. Gifts of healing, I love that because it's plural. Gifts of healing. There's all kinds of sicknesses, so there's all kinds of gifts of healing. And then the final is the working of miracles. But the main thing I want you to get out of this is an anticipation and expectation that God wants these at play in your life. That God wants you to have an anticipation, Lord, if your works are to be able to be seen in the earth and the Father's going to be known because of those things, Lord, I don't want to keep one thing from you. Whatever you want to use me in, Lord, I trust you. And having an anticipation for that, that's God's power in us. Now, most churches don't have the problem with God's character in us. What's God's character in us? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. God's character in us is the fruit of the Spirit. And then in every church wants the fruit of the Spirit. And a lot of believers are satisfied. I don't smoke, cuss, drink, or chew. I don't date girls who do much, you know. I'm good, I have self-control, I'm patient, I show love. And most people are happy with that. And that's a beautiful thing because the character of God needs to be seen in the earth too. The power of God wants to be seen in the earth. He wants his power to be evident. And so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are awesome. And we are confident that we are supposed to move in the character of God, but so often the church is less confident that you're also supposed to move in the power of God in and through your life. And I just want you to start to have a comfortability with it. Like, oh, Lord God, I expect that. I don't understand it, but I expect it. And the Holy Spirit, he does. He teaches. He comforts. He encourages. Uh, he does. But guess what? He also empowers you to do the works of the Lord. Not only did he promise that he would do those works, he commanded us to do those works. And so God wants us to be at work. How many's ever seen a work glove before? This is a really neat work glove. This little work glove has like protective padding on the knuckles, you know. How many saw the stones when you came in today? The stone out there by the sign? I am so glad I didn't move a single one of those stones. But the guys out there working, they had these, right? This is, this is a work glove. This thing here, man, this can, this can shovel this can fix a, 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 a car. This, this can do a whole bunch of stuff. This twist the throttle on a motorcycle if you want. I mean, this, this is a work glove. But here's the thing. I can throw that glove there and literally <laughs> walk up to it and, and basically just say, work, glove. <laughs> it's a work glove, right? <laughs> you try it. One, two, three. I wish I had strings and it would have stood up and freaked you all out. No. It's not, it's not, it's not going to work, right? So, so you know what? I know what it needs. It just needs the help. It needs some help. It needs a partner. I'm going to give it some partners here, you know? Work, glove! You're not by yourself anymore. You've got a companion. Make it happen, glove. Guess what? It's not going to happen, right? Maybe a little bit of encouragement. Work's not so bad. It's going to be okay. A little bit of encouragement, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> or you know what? What you do is you take and you grab the handle. And then you're going to stick the metal part with the pokey end into the dirt. And then you're maybe you just need some instruction. Work, glove. That's all. I just need some instruction. No, it's not going to work, is it? I, I know. That's just not that many people. Where two or more gather together. You know, the Bible says that, 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 that if a thousand since... 10,000 to flight, 10,000 will sin, you know, and so on. So I'm, I'm not quoting that very good. So, 
One will send 1,000. Two will send 10,000. Come on. I'm still on drugs, y'all. I am. Getting better, though. Getting better. So we're just going to have fellowship. That's going to help. <laughs> we just need a bunch of small group and ministry teams and Sunday mornings together. We just need more of us in the room having fellowship. Work, gloves. Right? I go to small group. I go to church. I, I'm in. Just work. It's not working. I, I know. I need a saged one. And we have some real saged people in here, people that are older, that are just mentors, that have depth, and I appreciate every one of them. But a lot of times our people, they'll lean and like, if I just get the wisdom from this person, and you need that. But the, this is an older glove. Looks like some of you. No, I'm kidding. So if I just get some older person to mentor me, you know, and that's it, you know. Work, glove. Still just same. Or this glove's been through a lot. So it has a lot of experience. If I can just get more experience, then I'll be used of God. Work, glove. You, you get the picture, right? Here's the thing about this. There is only one thing that makes a glove work. And you know what that is? When there is life inside of the glove. That's it. That's it. You have to have the life of the Spirit of God in you if you're going to do the works of the Lord. And what's so neat about the Holy Spirit, he comes to live in you, he's with you, but he's upon you. Amen? And when he's in you and with you and upon you, and the life of Christ himself is vibrant within you, you can get the work done. And guess who gets seen? Jesus. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness of me in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Isn't that good? Give God some praise. Amen. I'm going to close with this. Max Lucado, some of you have heard of him before. He's a Christian author and a pastor, not of a movement that, that, that moves in the things of the Holy Spirit the way we have kind of been brought around through the years, but a faithful, faithful guy. And recently, he wrote one of my favorite books, The Applause of Heaven, incredible book from Psalms. But recently, he wrote a book called Help is Here, Finding Fresh Strength and Purpose in the Power of the Holy Spirit. And he explains how in his 30s as a young pastor, he's in his 60s now, in his 30s as a young pastor, the pressures of ministry had become overwhelming. And he just wanted to do everything right, solve every problem, be everything to everybody. And it was stressing him out, causing him insomnia. His wife literally became clinically depressed. He goes, I was a mess. I couldn't even sleep. And that's when I began to understand the power of John 14 when it comes to the Holy Spirit being a friend and a comforter. And that's awesome. And for 30 years, he was so appreciative of the Holy Spirit being a friend and a comforter. But when he was 64, it says, on a July morning, as I was praying, I began praying in tongues. That's weird. He said, I had not done anything different except I came across the passage where the Apostle Paul said, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And I prayed that every morning for two or three weeks. And then one morning, early in the morning, I began praying in a heavenly language. He goes, I'm very careful to say that doesn't make me a better Christian. Amen. I, I hate that attitude of haughtiness that sometimes people get when they begin to move in the things of the Spirit. Why? Because we're supposed to be checked by love. Amen. By the fruit of the Spirit. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is dead in the middle of 12 and 14. Here's the gifts. Here's how you move in the gifts. You better act right. You better love. No, I'm serious. That's why that fruit is there. Amen. It even says this. It says you can speak with tongues of angels and have not love. You're like a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. So, I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm being contextual. I, 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 just want, I don't want you to think I'm evangelistically stretching this. Okay. Let's see where I'm at. Yeah, he said, I don't feel like I'm a super saint now with this. He said, regarding how people should pursue knowing the Holy Spirit, he says, I think a childlike faith is really the soil in which the seeds of the Holy Spirit are best known. A childlike faith that just says, whatever you want, give me. And so he started praying this. Lord, I want to receive everything you want to give me. I'm open. I'm thrilled with what you have given me. If I receive nothing else, wonderful. But if you have another empowerment for me, I'm available. And he began to pray that, and then this gift of the Spirit came upon him. Amen? 
And for, for Lucado, like I said, too, he said the same thing. It's about communication or connection more than communication that he's experienced when he prays this way. And so 1 Corinthians 12.1, just so you get real clear, we'll put it on the screen. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I hope I've given you a taste for more, that God wants us to walk in the works of, of, of the Lord, of the Spirit, and so that the Father can be seen. But I hope that, that you'll desire that, have an anticipation for that. Why should we desire those spiritual gifts? So that people in the world can see a witness of Jesus, and that show, you can show them the Father. That's why. It's not to be weird, as I said. Let me ask you a question. I'll put this on. Can you see my hand? It's all about Jesus being seen, amen? It's about what has come upon me and upon you being. It's not about what's in. It's about what's coming upon us. It's so that Jesus can be seen, amen? Not just you, but Jesus and the Father. I'll close. John 14 finishes with this. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Go down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see the Trinity there? We will come, and we'll make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. But these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so I would say it this way. If you are truly hungry for a deeper walk with Jesus, that walk can't fail to go down the path of the Holy Spirit. It can't fail to go down the path that says, Holy Spirit, Whatever you have, I want to receive. Holy Spirit, not one thing keep from me. If you have a gift, I, I want that gift. Now listen, God won't force anything upon you. If you don't want the gifts of the Spirit, you won't get them. There's something about anticipation, expectation, responding in obedience to wait to receive. But I want to challenge you. We're going to close in prayer. We're not going to belabor this. This is going to be something you're going to do in your life. Starting today, tomorrow, just begin to seek God and ask Him, I want your works to be seen in my life, that you might be seen in the lives of others. So go down the path of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, begin to watch God's gifts begin to be worked in and through your life. It's going to happen. Amen? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, I ask for my family right now that we would just be people that anticipate all that you want to do in and through us. When we settle and ready our hearts to receive from you, we respond to the same command you gave your disciples to wait until we are endued with power, until the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And so, Lord God, in our lives, in our prayer lives, our devotional lives, we want to be seeking you and just being open to what you have for us. In your name I pray, Jesus. Everybody say amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.